I think comedy in the past has been a little sloppy. A lot of times comedians want to be like, oh, whatever, it's just words. But I'm like, we are scientists with words. Like, we choose a particular word to elicit a reaction, whether it's, like, anticipation, suspense, a la- laughter. So to say it's just words, it's, like, not actually factual. Like, words mean a lot in our business. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like, every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way, too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. I'm Tina Brown, and you're listening to TBD. If you're not already a fan of comedian Phoebe Robinson, here's a little advice. You can either immediately jump on her bandwagon or be run over by it. Now, what about dreadlocks? Let's take a look. Uh, this is the dreadlocks look. And tell us about that look. Yeah, the dreadlocks is like when I'm feeling like really cool and like very powerful. Like, that's my look that kind of says I go to Coachella and tell all the white people to take Native American headdresses off their head. Like, I'm very, <laughs> I'm just policing everything. I'm one of those guys, yeah. Over the past five years, Robinson has become American comedy royalty, an impressive feat in an industry that isn't exactly welcoming to women let alone women of color. The Ohio native first made her name as a writer on MTV's Girl Code and then on Broad City, before landing her breakout podcast as co-host of Two Dope Queens, along with former Daily Show correspondent Jessica Williams. That led to a 2016 New York Times bestseller, the wicked essay collection You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain, and a spin-off podcast, So Many White Guys, which, as the title implies, is a giant middle finger to the overrepresentation of white male comedians. Last year, Robinson published her hilarious sophomore essay collection, Everything's Trash But It's Okay, which took on such taboo topics as why being a woman is ridiculous and why meeting Bono twice was my reparations. And she's now in the middle of her outrageous 2019 comedy tour, Sorry, Harriet Tubman, which proves that she has no intention of remaining underground ever again. Phoebe Robinson, welcome to TBD. Hi. <laughs> so you are just back from interviewing Michelle Obama. Yeah. Tell me what that's like. What happens when you interview Michelle Obama in, on these tours? It's been, I will say, I've been very lucky that she's asked me to do it five times, which is like beyond, let's super pinch me. But I think what's so fascinating about it is like I've moderated stuff before but she's selling out like arena so it's like 15,000 people are showing up to, to see her talk about a book which just does not happen ever um, but it's it's really cool it's just like it, it almost feels like people aren't there in a way because she's so connected it's like 90 minute conversation you talk about the book you talk about her life and she's so smart she's so funny so it really sort of feels like you're not really working you're just kind of hanging out with a girlfriend without like you know a mimosa so have hand. you got this really kind of choreographed now or is this 
genuinely, is this a spontaneous conversation or do you kind of know the roadmap and it's just a kind of prearranged jam? Um, I try to have different questions for each each time I interview her because I don't want her to get bored by it. Um, and I'll run it by her team and I'll be like, okay, we like these questions. Just make sure you sort of focus on like, you know, this issue or that issue. And then we just sort of go from there and just have fun together. So it's really, it's probably like, I don't know, probably one of the coolest things I've ever done uh, in my life. We'll ever do. <laughs> it's kind of an epic book tour. I mean, yeah. this is a book that sold more books, I think, than more memoirs than anybody ever has in history. I know. Barack has got a lot to, to do to catch up to her. I was thinking that. That's going to be a tense moment when his yeah, book comes out. Exactly. So I'd love to just start a bit at the beginning with you, Phoebe. When did you first know that you were funny and and uh, and kind of realize that you have a gift and you could do this for a living? Um, I mean, I was always kind of like the funny kid in school. Like, I wasn't necessarily cool. I just, like, watched a lot of movies and TV shows. Like, I loved, like, um, I love like, news radio and living color. Just, like, a lot of comedy sketch stuff. But I thought, so I wanted to move to New York to write, like, serious films. Like, I thought I was going to be, like, a person who wrote, like, serious dramas. And I was, like, going to win an Oscar for doing that. And I never really wanted to do comedy. And then I did, um improv at my college and I was like oh this is super fun and then when I graduated I was like I'm gonna work at a film company work my way up from like a receptionist to wherever um so I started working at New Line Cinema and then I, I went over to Picture House and was an executive assistant so this was like when I was 23 and my good college friend Lindsay she was like I want to do stand-up and I never really watched stand-up I wasn't particularly a fan of it like I knew Chris Rock and Ellen but I never like investigated it and she was like let's just take this eight-week class at Caroline's it'll be super fun I was like okay I'll just take this dumb class and never think about it again and then I fell in love with it like the first time we our first class we had to be like in this little tiny room it felt like they just had like an AA meeting it was like a tiny little room with like chairs just sitting around I think we had to write like one minute of material which was terrifying to me I was like I've never written a joke before and I got like a laugh and I was like this feels really cool hmm maybe I should investigate this further you've also said though that stand-up can feel incredibly lonely and it's mm-hmm. also kind of a brutal business I mean to me nothing could be more terrifying than yeah. the sort of exposure <laughs> of standing up there and having to be funny mm-hmm. why did you want to do it I mean what was the, the compulsion to kind of get this out of your system and do it yeah I think I'm an extroverted introvert so I'm much more quiet off stage I, I'm still funny but I'm not like attention you're not, seeking you're not extrovert yeah. yeah and then when I'm on stage and then like I want the attention blah 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 but when I'm off stage I don't and I, I think that like stand-up is you know you write the jokes you perform it you edit it so you really have this sense of control I do like to control things I'm a little type a that way and It takes elements of improv, which is like there's that danger element of like you don't know what you're going to say in the moment. You kind of know more so with stand up. But the danger is like trying to see if you vibe with this audience and to make someone just involuntarily laugh based off of. Yeah, it's really cool. So I, I just have always loved that. Of course, you weren't a hit immediately, right? I mean, you had a very tough 10 years, I gather, from, you, from yeah. your book. I mean, you're nearly evicted from your apartment. Yeah. I mean, what kept you going? Because most people, I think, would give that a go and then think, God, I, I'm never going to make a living out of this. I mean, 10 years yeah. is a long time. It's a long time. And I definitely thought about quitting because I was, you I think know, only Meghan Markle has gone that long yeah. out of break. <laughs> it is very sort of when you're... 
you're not to blame social media, but you're on Facebook and you see, you know, your friends back home and they're buying houses and they're able to like go on vacation or they're able to just like have a steady job and freelance blogging and doing stand up that's not steady. Um, And so I was sort of feeling like, am I being crazy? Is this sort of ridiculous that I'm pursuing this? And my parents, to their credit, really just sort of told me, like, if you want this, you're going to have to be as invested when it's not going well as when it hopefully goes well one day. And I think that's And they were not even from show business, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they were just sort of like nothing comes easy and like mostly people that you admire, like you only see when they're at the mountaintop and not all the work that goes Mm -hmm. into it. And they're like, you're just going to have to just hunker down and really just not expect success to be on your timetable. Um, You do some hilarious riffs on your book, which I thoroughly enjoyed, the new one. (laughs) Thank you. (coughs) On fashion stylists who try to squeeze you into clothes. (laughs) <laughs> that you know are never going to fit and all the humiliation goes with it. And I just was thinking, what a weird thing American women have to experience about size. I mean, on the one hand, all the sort of propaganda is about being stick thin. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we're told you cannot fat shame. Everybody has to now embrace people who are heavy. Yeah. I mean, how do you explain all this torture that we all feel about bodies. Yeah, it's almost like maybe a a tipping point where we do have body positivity and body inclusivity, which is great. But now we need, I think we need designers to really think about it in a real everyday person sort of way, because there are still like so many designers that I can't fit into. So I I think women are just really sort of made to feel like we're the problem, that our bodies are inherently problematic. And so we have to diet and we have to lose weight in order to wear clothes, which so doesn't make sense. So where are you now sense. on the spectrum? How much torture do you go through now? I, I think I'm still in a place like when I do photo shoots, I always bring clothes with me. I did a shoot for Elle magazine and it was with Jessica when we were promoting Two Dope Queens. And, you know, Jessica and I are a size two. I don't know her specific size, but I, you know, hover around a size 10. Sometimes I'm an eight. And I could just tell the stuff that fit was just so kind of frumpy and not right. cool and not fashion forward. <laughs> and I was like, well, I found these really cool clothes that fit me. They feel sort of like chic. And so I just ended up wearing my own clothes. So there's that. But I think I've just been very adamant about, like, you're not going to make me feel bad. Like, if I tell you I'm a size 10 and then you bring a size 6 and be like, oh, you can fit into this, I'm going to be like, I cannot. I need you to really do your job because right. I showed up and did my job and gave you my measurements. So You refused to, to be intimidated by the size 6s. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug, ignored a leaky faucet, pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few taps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects. And say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. 
We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Um, we've heard so much about how hard it is for women in comedy, but it is much harder for women of color, mm-hmm. it seems to me, from reading your book. I mean... What has been your experience with that? I think it's been up and down. I think it's been more up once I decided that I was going to sort of take the reins a little bit. And I think that's how Jessica and I created Two Dope Queens is that she started doing improv in L.A. And I was doing improv in New York. And every time she was like on a team, she was the only person of color on the team. And, you know, whenever I did improv, I was usually the only person of color on the team. And we're just like, well, we see so many amazing people who are super funny and that aren't necessarily being pushed into right. improv or being pushed into stand-up. they're just not networked in the same way. They're not networked, you know. Improv classes are expensive. Stand-up classes are expensive, you know. I think my class at Caroline's was $400, maybe three-something, which is nice, but... If you are a working person in your 20s, you're trying to deal with student debt, can you really take a bunch of improv classes and work your way up? That's a lot of money to ask of someone. And so Jessica and I were like, we just want to do something where it's not rooted in how much money you have. And it's just like if you're truly funny. And that's how we created Two Dope Queens. And we So you really wanted to create a sort of cultural yeah. ambience for those performers. Yeah. yeah. And just be like, there's so many people like Michelle Buteau, Baron Vaughn, who now has a show on Comedy Central. Rory Scovel, who now has a show on Comedy Central. Um, just a lot of brilliant, brilliant, funny people. Solomon Giorgio is now writing on Shrill. Like, just a lot of amazing people who, that we thought were incredible and that might not always get the same opportunities just because they're not, like, you know, straight white guys. Or so are you, are you interested in doing sort of producing now? Because you're yes. really helping to foster a comedy stable. Yeah, I just don't want to be in it by myself. That's, like, not fun. And... I'm always like, there's so many people who just make me laugh so hard. How can I not want to share the wealth, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who have yeah. been the people who've been your career accelerators? I mean, that you feel sort of believed in you and gave you those chances. You know, WNYC, you know, when Jess and I approached them about Two Dope Queens, and this was 2015, I believe, they never really done a comedy variety right. show. That's like hasn't really been a thing that's been done in the podcasting world. And I think they like they liked us in the meeting. They're like, oh, they're really funny. We're gonna go to a show. And I think they really saw and got what Jessica and I have and like our special sort of chemistry. Let's listen to some of that material. It's it's two levels. On the first level, it's like female strippers, and the second level is male strippers. How awesome! It, which is great, but they're just very. Different energy. How how so? Like the one with the male strippers, like it was like everyone was like having a great time and it was like fun. And then like the one with the female strippers, it was like just guys by themselves. Like right, it's a private experience. Right, and they were like all sad. And it was like it was like it was beyond like dad bod. It was like. It was like I just ate so much lean cuisine until it was no longer lean Uh anymore. Uh Downstairs was TV dinner. Upstairs was Magic Mike. Yeah, and so, like, all the female strippers were just kind of, like, they were kind of standing like they were, like, waiting for, like, an MTA announcement. Like, you... (laughs) 
Do you mean like they were waiting to get engaged with a man? Yeah, because there would just be chicks like walking around, like none of the guys looking at them. I'm like, what? why are you here? It was so weird. And then upstairs, it was like Magic Mike. So it started off kind of slow, because he got there at like eight, which I guess is like really early. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> But we're all in our That's 30s. That's 7 a.m. stripper time. Yeah, we're all in our 30s. So we're like, yeah, uh-huh. we got to get in it. We have dinner at 7. Uh-huh. <laughs> Strippers at 8. It's, okay. That's what happens in your 30s. That's what happens in your 30s? Okay. Right, right. Okay. So look forward to that. Uh, okay. Um, How scripted out is that show between you? Jessica and I, usually we will just sort of be like, here are five things that happened to me. Here are five things that happened to her. And we'll sort of be like, Sometimes you won't tell each other what happened, like when she met J.K. Rowling, and I knew that was going to happen. I like texted her right after. She's like, I'm not going to talk to you about it until we're recording. (laughs) So it's good that we keep that element of surprise together. Um, But we try to not write too much. We sort of just want to have topics and ideas. And of course, when we, we brought the show to HBO... For the TV, you have to, like, write things out a little bit more so you might have, like, the beats to, like, a story just so we know where to jump in. But we really want to have it be a loose conversation between girlfriends. I mean, most of your comedy is is on that kind of best friend mm-hmm. basis. Um, what is it about the dynamic of a kind of a best friend that works for you so well, do you think? I think I just really like having a partner in crime and someone you can just sort of like play off with, especially if the person has different energy than you. And I think Jessica has different energy than me. I think I'm a little bit sillier than her. Maybe it goes back to starting out at improv. You get to sort of let each other shine by your playing to each other's strengths. Well, one of the things that's kind of been very explosive for the comedy world has been the Me Too movement, right? And, uh, of course, you know, we had the whole conviction of Bill Cosby, the banishment of Louis C.K. What are your feelings about Louis now? I mean, does he need to just go away? Or or is it okay that he returns to stand-up? I mean, like, I don't think he or necessarily people that defend him really understand the repercussions of what he did because it's not just that like oh he you know got like a tv show and made some women feel bad about themselves it's that you know people on his team were allegedly i I don't want to say for a fact because i wasn't there but were blocking other women that he harassed from having fruitful careers and i was like that's just that's a lot of blowback to just sort of like walk away from and then come back and be like oh i'm gonna be on stage again as if nothing happened and so For me, I think I would feel differently about him if he was actively trying to help those women or trying to provide a platform for women in comedy as opposed to just coming back and being like, I'm just going to do the same thing I was doing before. It just doesn't feel authentic to me. You said actually in January that you were invited to perform at a comedy club Mm -hmm. in the same lineup as a male comedian accused of rape, which Mm -hmm. didn't amuse you very much. I mean, tell me about that and how you handled it. Comedy Central, I'm not Comedy Central, but Comedy Central is great. But comedy in general does not have an HR. There is, you know, it's a workplace, but there's no one there really sort of policing what goes on. And so you show up on a show and then you are on the same lineup as people who have done inappropriate things. And I think everyone has to make their own sort of choice. But for me, I just feel like if I'm going to be outspoken about you know, male comedians um, and their abuse in the workplace, that for me, it doesn't feel right for me to then perform at the same shows as them. 
We had a, a conversation at our Women in the World Summit a couple of weeks back mm-hmm. uh, with some really great comedians, Judy Gold, Wanda Sykes, yeah. you know, Carmen Esposito, which we called You Can't Take a Joke. And it was really all about that subject, actually, that, you know, this is a very tricky time when people are sort of policing what is funny and what isn't funny. Mm. And if you stop, step on the wrong side of it, you do get killed. I mean, you said there are jokes today that you wouldn't make, like jokes about slavery. But mm-hmm. you know, hasn't comedy always been edgy? Are there now topics that are just off limits? Yeah, I think comedy has always been edgy, and I think it will continue to be edgy. I think comedy in the past has been a little sloppy in terms of there is some level. I think you just need to be respectful and mindful of the things that you say. And I think a lot of times comedians want to be like, oh, whatever, it's just words. But I'm like, we are scientists with words like we choose a particular word to elicit a a reaction whether it's like anticipation suspense laughter so to say it's just words it's like not actually factual like words mean a lot in our business so I, I think comedy can still be edgy I think you just have to be a little bit smarter and I think it's sort of reflective of society in that like society we're a little bit behind and then you, you know, things you joked right. about in, in conversation at work, you might not do that 10 years from now. You do know? you feel at all muzzled yourself? I don't. I mean, yeah. I think... I, it Anything just, you wouldn't want to talk about on stage? I don't think so. I think I don't want to, like, punch down or put anyone down, just be like, you're an idiot, you're the... Like, I don't want to do that. I think political humor, I'm not... I'm not anti it. I just don't know what I could add to it. I think there's so much of it. And sometimes you just wind up sort of preaching to the choir and it's not your message isn't really going outside of that. Yeah, yeah. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Yeah. When you're sort of thinking about your material mm-hmm. I mean where do the ideas come from and then you start thinking I can break this down into into being comedy material for me yeah I think I might just start with like oh that was like a funny thing that happened and so I'm, I'm working on this joke about my boyfriend and I moving in together and we had a conversation about it and I because he has like such a smooth British accent I truly did not realize we were moving in to get like by the end of the conversation I was like oh this is like this is how colonialism happened like you're just sort of duped into it and so I'm like oh I think that's a funny idea so let me try and like build from there but I, I think I either try to take things from my life that's happened to me or something that I observe and I'm like oh I think there's something interesting here I love the fact that he is British and he comes from Bournemouth. Yeah. I mean, Bournemouth is such an old lady town. I know. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> it's yeah. such an old lady town. I mean, it's, you know, you used to go and see your grandmother there and then you'd all sit and sort of eat boiled sweets on the front, you know, yeah. and there were all these old old people. How do you and Bournemouth get along? It was good. I actually got to go there over Christmas and meet his family. And it, it's just a very... <laughs> 
a little more sleepy. It's a little yeah. more quiet. And we're there for eight days, which eight might have... Eight days? I know that might... My God, I don't I know, know how you survived eight hours in Bournemouth. I've got to be honest. I mean, I have no idea what you could have been doing every night. That's why I told him, he was like, I realized eight days was too long. But, you know, <laughs> it's my family. see them once a year. Um, Where did you meet each other? We met at a, a U2 concert because he's a tour manager for the Lumineers. And they were opening for U2 on the Joshua Tree tour. And so we just met. And um, it wasn't love at first sight, I will admit. But we just, like, eventually hit it off, and we just have been together ever since. In your own relationship, I mean, what have you learned from him? I mean, what has he had to tell you about the way he acts as a Brit? You know, like, what what did you not get about it, and what did he not get about you? Yeah, so he his big thing when we first started dating, he was like, you're always yelling at me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not yelling. Like, this is, like, my normal voice. He was like... I just think Americans are very loud and like everything is very impassive. He's like, it just feels like you're screaming at me. And I'm like, oh no, we're just passionate. And so he had to learn like, okay, she's not mad. She's just like really excited about what she's talking about. And for him, in the beginning, I'd be like, you're being condescending to me. And he was like, this is just my voice. <laughs> and I was I like, oh, okay, got it. Um, so we just had like sort of like communication things. Um, I do think that he's more reserved and I'm a little more um, expressive but I also think that that is fine I think we meet each other in the middle how good are you at business I mean have you had any issues with getting paid what you should be paid I mean we've seen such a huge amount of pay equity Mm -hmm. angst yeah how have you been in that department have you yeah I paid what you deserve I think so. I'm very adamant about like what I think my skill set is. One of the things I am grateful about the fact that it's taking me so long to kind of get to where I am is that I've learned how to write. I've learned how to edit. I've learned how to produce. So like when I walk into a room and I want to pitch a project or something that I, I want to be involved in, whether it's like Two Dope Queens or So Many White Guys or a TV show that I want to do, it's like it's not just me doing work in front of the camera. It's me doing work behind the camera and I should be paid accordingly. And I think... You know, I try to leave emotion out of it. I just go, this is what I'm worth. I won't settle for less than that. Right. You've got your new tour. Sorry, Harriet Tubman. Um, (laughs) But what are you apologizing for? (laughs) You know, Harriet was amazing. You know, freedom fighter, trailblazer. And, you know, I'm kind of lazy. You know, I'm always like Netflixing and chilling. And, you know, I say ridiculous things sometimes. So I'm like, this is like this great person and I'm not quite there um so sorry about that but here are the things that i want to talk about it's just sort of like me poking fun at myself um and uh, and i think people what i've been working on so far i think people have been enjoying well i mean i know you're developing an amazon series so tell me about that and about what else you know you're actually working on next i mean are you doing more movies or a, a late night talk show or what are you what are you actually what's imminently yeah in your hopper as it were yeah so i am shopping around an idea for a show um, sorry, Harriet Tubman. I'm trying to put it together an hour. Um, Is that but, just you alone? Yeah, just me doing an hour of stand-up. I want to do it special. Um, so I'm really excited. I'm doing a lot of shows in the States. I think the tour starts officially in June. And then I'm going to be doing Edinburgh for two weeks in August. That is so fun. Yeah. Um, and then I've been doing like a little more voiceover stuff. Like I've been doing like some characters on BoJack Horseman, which has been fun. So I think I want to kind of do an animated show. 
Because um, it's just, it's so fun to just be in a, a VO booth and you just get to like goof around and make crazy voices. So I really like that. Um, but yeah, I have some stuff in the works that I can't talk about yet, but I'm really excited about. Okay, thank you very much for joining me on TBD. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Phoebe Robinson. Thank you, Tina. You've been listening to TBD with me, Tina Brown, brought to you by Wondery. You can subscribe to TBD on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep up with us however you listen to podcasts. And please don't keep TBD all to yourself. Tweet about it, Instagram it, or, you know, try having an actual conversation with a real person. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That's a great way to spread the word. TBD is produced by Tina Brown, Kathleen Russo, Julie Subrin, Karen Copton, Justine Giannino, and Michael Solomon. Original theme music is composed by Forrest Gray. Come back next time for more smart people on TBD. TBD.